You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the entire internet. Nest Talk episode 38 is being recorded on August 2nd, Friday, August 2nd, at approximately 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And what a great Friday it is to be recording a podcast uh, here in the studio. As you all probably know, last night was the first football game, uh, not of 2019 because you had the playoffs, but since the playoffs, since the Super Bowl, the Hall of Fame game last night was played between the Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons. If you listened to last week's Nest Talk podcast, you may have thought it was on Friday. I hope you got the news properly because I repeatedly said Friday. Um, by the time I realized it, the podcast was already live for 12, 16 hours. I just basically, it hit me. I was like, wait a minute. I said Friday, not Thursday. So I left a comment correcting it. I hope you all got the message that at least... Um, the Hall of Fame game was last night, not tonight, but I'm sure you could find it somewhere if you want to watch it tonight. I know Game Pass has it. I have a Game Pass subscription. I pay money for every year. I get to watch every preseason game anyway, uh, live, but you also get every every game back to, I think, 2009 you can watch. Um, not not sponsored by them, but just saying if you, if you did not catch the Hall of Fame game and you have a subscription to NFL Game Pass... Uh, you can definitely catch it on there, and I'm sure you can find it. I'm sure the NFL Network will probably be playing it tonight anyway. Uh, but it is Hall of Fame weekend, and we have a lot of news, uh, not just to do with the Hall of Fame. Um, jumping right in here, as we all need to know, Marquise Brown cleared his physical. This is perhaps um, one of the biggest pieces of news that the Baltimore Ravens fans were hoping for, hoping to get this piece of news at some point early this offseason. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, Marquise Brown gave me a little bit of a scare. Because I mentioned it last week, I don't like how the Ravens um, handle injuries with the press. They always seem to be not exactly clear on what they're saying, and a lot of their timetables turn out to be wrong. Uh, if you'll remember, Brashad Perryman in his, 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 his uh, rookie year was essentially um, going to miss like barely any time in OTAs and maybe a little bit of training camp is what the Ravens said. He ended up missing the entire year. Joe Flacco, um, the the back injury in 2017 was supposed to be a few weeks. Then it led into all of training camp, and he was back for week one, thankfully, um, but didn't get any of that preseason practice. Then last year, Flacco got the hip injury, and the Ravens said, oh, he'll probably play, you know, after the bye week, because they played the Steelers, he got injured, lost, assumed he would be back after the bye week. He wasn't back till about four weeks later. So the Ravens just never seem to give us the injury status, the injury, the questions to the injury status that we are asking for, the timetables. They never seem to be completely on point. And that's not exactly true. It's a hyperbole because a lot of the time they are on point. But the Ravens sometimes are too cryptic with these things. So. Um, opponents never really understand what the Ravens are going through. So with that in the back of my mind, I was somewhat worried about what Marquise Brown's timeline would be. Um, with his Liz, Liz Frank foot injury coming off of it, um, again, you'll remember, if you listen to last week's episode, Marquise Brown injured his foot in the semifinal uh, college football playoff game um, when his when his Oklahoma Sooners were facing off uh, I believe against Clemson, or maybe no, I'm sorry, Alabama. Notre Dame faced Clemson. I was thinking about the Miles Boykin video that I'm putting out tomorrow that I, I'm just wrapping up. Talked about that in there a little bit. Um, so he injured his foot in this game, and obviously the biggest game of his career with the Oklahoma Sooners, um, or one of the biggest games because I believe he was on that team that went to the semifinals the previous year with Baker Mayfield. Um, gets injured there, has off-season surgery. The Ravens were not really concerned about his long-term health by drafting. That's apparent by drafting him as high as I did at 25, I believe it was. 
Um, by drafting him at 25, you're basically saying we don't really see his injury as a long-term problem. We think that he's going to heal from it. And then they went out and gave him $11 million guaranteed on that rookie deal, which is crazy. So you get the Ravens basically giving him a vote of confidence that he's going to be uh, a fixture of this offense, regardless of what the injury is, how long it takes, yada, yada. doesn't matter to the Ravens. Um, so they expected him to be back quickly. And we figured out that he was basically going to be back quickly when it became apparent he was running basically in every practice on the sidelines. Everybody knew that he was ready to go. It was just a matter of time. Because with the Liz Frank foot injury, Liz Frank, Liz Frank, whatever, however you say it, I don't actually know. I can't, I can't say these words. With this Liz Frank foot injury, um, it shouldn't affect his running motion because it's his foot and not his knee. If this was a knee injury, I would have been much more concerned. But the deal about a foot, I mean, yes, it can kind of mess up your running formation, but if it heals... The whole running formation is basically going to be in your knee. Most of it. I mean, the, the most important piece is going to be the knee. He still has the quickness. He still has the speed. It was evidence. I saw it firsthand. I was down last Sunday, Ravens training camp, as many of you already know. I saw it firsthand. Marquise Brown, running on the sideline, looked super fast. He, he I don't think he lost any pep in his step. I think, he did, I, I think he was very fast. I mean, I didn't have a stopwatch or anything. Phones were not prohibited when you were watching practice. You had to go into a little, uh, not a little place. You had to go behind the bleachers so you couldn't see anything, so you couldn't record video or whatever. You know, since Spygate, they've really cracked down. Um, so Marquise Brown was running very fast on the far end near the castle itself, which if you don't know what the castle is, uh, that is the Ravens' offices. The entire training facility is right next to the castle. You've got uh, three or four fields all lined up so they can do a bunch of drills. And then you've got an indoor practice facility as well. I don't know how many fields are in there. I would imagine just one or two in there. Uh, and the castle is, is basically where all the offices. Um, I believe the gym is in there. There's a cafeteria. There's everything in the castle. Um, very nice building. If you've never been there, I re really recommend going to a Ravens training camp practice and taking in the whole experience because you get to see right where all the magic happens. Um, you, don't go, you don't get to go inside the castle. I'm sure the Ravens have some sort of tour for that anyway. Um, but moving back on point here, um, Marquise Brown was very fast. The Ravens obviously were ready to have him back. Um, they want to know what he can do this preseason. So it's very nice that he's back ready to play in this first preseason game. And we'll talk a little bit more about, um, what that means for Marquise Brown. Now we don't actually know if he's going to play because I would imagine the Ravens don't want him to put a lot of stress on that foot. They don't want him to get re-injured. They want him to heal fully before he goes back out there. Um, so, you know, I don't think that the Ravens are going to overwork him if they put him in. So he might not play. He might play. I don't think we have a clear-cut uh, way of knowing that right now. The Ravens, I don't believe, have made any announcements, or at least I've not been made aware of any announcements. If you guys find out in the future, after this episode airs, whether Marquise Brown um, is uh, slated to play or not, you can hit me up at Be More Feather at Chris Linfon on Twitter. Leave a comment on this this video. Um, make sure I'm in the know. Now I'll, I'll find out eventually, but the sooner the better. Obviously, I like to make sure that everybody in the Ravens flock, in this Feather flock we have here at the Baltimore Feather, uh, knows what's going on with the Ravens. So, as as once I get that information, I will make sure it's out to you. But the best place to get that will be following me on Twitter at BeMoreFeather or at ChrisLynnFont, preferably at BeMoreFeather because that's where all the Ravens news goes. At ChrisLynnFont is um, my personal handle. So at BeMoreFeather is really the place to follow. And of course, you can check BaltimoreFeather.com. That's where all the Ravens news is going to be posted in articles. Um, so you can look there too if you don't have a Twitter account. If anything goes down, if we know something about Marquise Brown, something like if John Harbaugh comes out tomorrow or tonight even and says Marquise Brown won't play next week in the preseason, then I'll let you guys know in an article and a tweet. Somehow you'll be able to find out. So make sure to do that. Follow us somewhere where you can to get all this news. So again, Marquise Brown, he's cleared his physical. He's ready to go. Very excited to see what he can do. Now, the Ravens were not done with roster moves, though. They, they added two players and cut two. So... They signed Nicholas Grigsby and Brendan Trawick. The second name you might remember, 
but I doubt you'll know the first one. Now, Nicholas Grigsby, um, former New England Patriot, I believe, um, former Denver Bronco, former um, Rams player. I don't know if he was with the Rams when they moved to L.A. or not. Um, but he's a journeyman inside linebacker. Now, the deal with Nicholas Grigsby is I don't expect him to make the roster, um, but I expect him to get a chance to. Now, Nicholas Grigsby, he has experience on multiple teams, but he has very little game experience. I think he has only played five games in total. And of those five games, he's recorded five tackles. And they're all for the Patriots um, in 2017, the Super Bowl team. I don't know if he was... Uh, I don't think he played at all in the Super Bowl, but Nicholas Grigsby. I mean, he's got experience where it counts, really. Um, I mean, he, he's got good coaches. Or he had good coaches around him. He's been to a few teams here and there. He's got game experience, which is, which is um, very important for a player, you know, who wants to elevate his game. He's got that under his belt. And, of course, the Ravens are looking for somebody to do something at the inside linebacker position since C.J. Mosley has left for the New York Jets. C.J. Mosley, you're not going to replace him this year. I really don't think there's anybody on this roster right now who's going to replace C.J. Mosley in full. I think the Ravens could possibly, and this is this is possibly, I'm not going to say the Ravens are going to do this, but I think the Ravens could possibly find a combination of the inside linebackers on the roster right now and put them in a position to basically rotate enough to cover for most of what C.J. Mosley could do. That's going to be some sort of combination between Peanut and Wasso, um, Kenny Young, Alvin Jones has a real shot of making this roster, and C.J. Board has another shot of making this roster again. Um, C.J. Board, there's been a lot of talk about him actually making plays um, in in training camp, so we'll see what he can do um, in in the preseason. Really, that's going to be the determining factor because you could practice so well, but when you get in those game positions, you know performance is key there I mean yes the Ravens love to see a player practicing well but if if he if if he can't can't do anything on the field then there's no expectation for him to do anything on the field when it really counts you know preseason it doesn't count so if he can't do anything on the field in the preseason we got problems down the road doesn't mean he won't develop into something better but it means that right away he's not your answer but we'll have to see I'm not going to discount CJ Board I'm not going to discount Alvin Jones, and I'm certainly not going to discount Nicholas Grigsby. He's got experience on some winning teams. I mean, that Belichick experience, then to get picked up by the Detroit Lions, uh, Matt Patricia's team, so you know Patricia must like him. Uh, Matt Patricia, obviously, is is the former defensive coordinator for um, Bill Belichick's New England Patriots, one of the better defensive minds in the league. From going um, from the Patriots with Bill Belichick to Patricia's uh, defense for a little bit. I mean, that at least tells me that he's got some guys out there who do like what he brings to the table. So the Ravens, I think, are going to see whether or not he does well or not. I believe he's still practice squad eligible. He didn't surpass that six-game mark, I guess, not to be practice squad eligible. And I think he's got the seasons. You need to be under four seasons. He came in in 2016. This should be his fourth year. Um, so if it's four or under, he's in. He could be a practice squad player. If not, then maybe not. Um, but the Ravens really are making sure they have every every you know possibility inside linebacker checked out that they can look at all these players and determine whether or not these guys can help them. Uh, and I think it's a great strategy. You should always be looking for players that you could develop long term anyway. So if Nicholas Grigsby doesn't pan out this year, put him on the practice squad if he's eligible. Then see if he can come back next year and do something good for the Ravens. So we'll see what he can do in the preseason. Um, but the Ravens did add Brendan Trywick, Trywick, I'm not actually sure how to pronounce this, uh, his name, I'm sorry if you're listening, Brendan Trywick, and I'm butchering your name, I'm so sorry, um, but if you remember Trywick, it's probably because of an infamous Ravens play, you've got that super, like, amazing feeling after the Super Bowl, right, and then, the Ravens come out in 2013, and the first game they put after the Super Bowl is a complete demolishment of the Ravens by the Denver Broncos. It was, I mean, I watched the first half of it, and I was confident that the Ravens could win. And then the second half was a complete failure. It was just embarrassing. But Brendan Trywick in this game made a play. 
that a lot of Ravens fans might remember. Jacoby Jones, one of my favorite Ravens of all time, electric return man, goes to get a punt return, and Brendan Trawick runs right into him and injures Jacoby Jones. And he's on our team at this point. Trawick is on our team. He injures our own guy, Jacoby Jones. So that's the infamous play Trawick is, is mostly remembered for. Now, the deal with Trawick, though, is he actually drastically improved throughout the years. You look at the what he's done since the Ravens. He was with the Ravens between 2013 and 2015, um, moved on uh, to the Tennessee Titans, became a pro bowler with the Tennessee Titans. Um, so, you know, he has a lot of experience as a special teams player. That's what he is, a special teams player. Um, in 2016, he went to Oakland, 10 tackles on special teams. 2017, as I mentioned, Titans, Pro Bowl, special teams Pro Bowler. He's not going to really do anything much for us at the safety position because that's what his main position is, aside from special teams, safety. I don't think that Brendan Trowick is going to do very much there. I think the Ravens are really looking for some guys on special teams because you know John Harbaugh, of all coaches in the league, John Harbaugh is the most special teams focused out of any head coach. And, you know, some people might laugh at you being like, oh, what are you so oriented about special teams for? Like, special teams sucks. Like, special teams can't do anything for you. No, that's definitely not the case. You win on special teams, you win on the majority of your games. Just look at the Wolf Pack, right? The Ravens Wolf Pack. You've got Justin Tucker, the best kicker in league history, period. The end. That's it. No argument there. Sam Cook, one of the best punters, not only in franchise history, but in the NFL history. This great piece, I think the NFL Network did it on him and how he changed how punting is done. I, I recommend you go watch it. Um, but anyway, and then you've got Morgan Cox in there, who's a great long snapper. I never had a problem with him. You get these guys, and they are, on average, one of the best, one of the best top five every year group. Special teams, when you are a great, great at returning and stopping your opponent from returning, you win the field position battle. If you can start at the 30-yard line and make sure your opponent starts at the 20-yard line every time, you have a significant advantage because that's 10 more yards or 10 less yards you have them to go or for you to go. So special teams, I think, is extremely important, and I don't think there are enough people who believe that as well. So Trower is going to come in here and try to make a special teams um, role for himself. He'll try to craft this role uh, on this special teams unit. Whether or not he does that, I think, will rely a lot on Justin Bethel. The Ravens signed Bethel, who's a cornerback, but more so a special teams pro bowler. Um, so he's got a decent deal. I don't know what Trowick's deal is. I don't think it's been released yet. The numbers. Um, but to, to take Bethel's money and basically throw that contract away would be kind of difficult for the Ravens. I mean, not entirely difficult, but for a special teams guy they signed, they invested a lot of money into him. So he really has to outproduce Bethel. Unless Bethel completely like screws up everywhere at, or gets injured and, and can't play, then I don't think Trowick's going to make this team. But Trowick, of course, is going to try to make another team as a gunner or something. Um, and you look at the successful teams with special teams, the Ravens, the Patriots, two of the most successful special teams um, teams, and they're always doing well. So um, I'm sure someone out there might value Trowick if he does well with the Ravens this preseason, and that is probably his goal. I don't think he's practice squad eligible at this point. So if he can find a role on this team or not, you know, he probably won't, but another team out there might see him and say, hmm, Trowick, let's go sign him, let's bring him in, let's make him our dedicated gunner. So to make room for these players, the Ravens had to open some stuff up. You've got the Ravens cutting Matthew Thomas, the linebacker. Uh, Matthew Thomas, honestly, I know very little about him other than he played for the Steelers for a little bit. Um, so, you know, with him, it just wasn't meant to be, I, I don't think. Um, you know, Matthew Thomas, it's just, just not meant to be. Former Florida State Seminole here. Played for the Steelers last year. Ravens this year. I don't know if he was actually um, in any games. I don't believe so. 
Um, actually, no, he was in 10 games, uh, but was waived in December of last year. Sorry, I'm just making sure I, I can't keep up with this information here. I want to make sure it's as accurate as possible for you guys. Um, the Ravens found another... They, they, they'd rather take Nicholas Grigsby at this point. That's what it seems to me uh, when they cut Matthew Thomas. And, of course, they also cut, as you probably know if you're following Ravens news, Jordan Lasley, their fifth-round pick last year. They cut him already. Um, this is one of the more surprising moves I think the Ravens have made in recent months. There was a lot of talk that Jordan Lasley, especially last year, but even this year, was going to be a very good wide receiver at some point. But the thing with Jordan Lasley is he has some big problems. He was in trouble a lot. I don't know how much in high school, but reportedly was in trouble in high school. At UCLA was in trouble a few times. Then on Monday, I believe it was, he gets into a fight um, with some Ravens defensive backs, throws a football into the pond. The pond is actually, if you've never been to the training camp, there's a field, and then there's like a little bit of grass, and then there's a pond be beneath it. Um, he threw the football into the pond and basically went at it. I think it was um, Bennett, the cornerback Bennett. Um, oh, I want to say Bennett Jackson, but I don't know. Let me check up on you guys. Bennett Jackson. Yes, Bennett Jackson. He's been with the Ravens for the past few years in the offseason. Last year and this year, you, you know, you've seen him. You know him if you watch the preseason. He's there a lot. So he gets in a fight with Bennett Jackson and some other people, I believe. And John Harbaugh says this fight has really nothing to do with the cut. But you know it's the last draw of the camel's back here. John Harbaugh wanted to give Jordan Lasley an opportunity to make another team's roster, which he's done already. He's now with the Oakland Raiders. That will be on Hard Knocks, actually. So if you have an HBO subscription, you'll be able to see Jordan Lasley interact with the Raiders. Um, so, cutting Lasley, available now, gets picked off on waivers by John Gruden, the Oakland Raiders. Again, a lot of people thought he's going to be a very good wide receiver at this point, but this year he's been really outdone in training camp, and I even saw it firsthand on Sunday by two guys fighting for the final spot, basically, or so. I mean, it's possible both these guys could make the roster, but realistically, I think one of them will, unless something crazy happens in the preseason. Jaleel Scott, the sixth-round pick from last year. This is the guy who is, I believe, 6'5". Let me check up on that as I'm talking here. So you've got Jaleel Scott out of North New Mexico State. The dude is super tall. Um... He is 6'6". Six, six. He's Joe Flacco's height as a wide receiver. This guy's a red zone, weapon, everything, jump ball kind of guy. Underwhelmed last year in the training camp. Looked terrible. The Ravens IRS dashed him. He was kaputzi for the year. They also got Antoine Wesley in here, who's another tall guy. Antoine Wesley, out of Texas Tech, played um, under, uh, under um, the new coach for the Arizona Cardinals, uh, whose name I'm blanking on all of a sudden. Anyway, um, Antoine Wesley, Texas Tech guy, he's also tall as well. Um, not as tall as um, as Jaleel Scott, let's say. Uh, he's about 6'3", 6'4", somewhere between there. His official, I don't think he was at the Combine. Actually, yes, he was at the Combine, officially 6'4". So these are two tall wide receivers that have been doing a lot for the Ravens in training camp. Great catches by both of them. So, when you compare them to Juliel Scott, who's underperforming at, at their rate, and the competition is fierce at the wide receiver position, you can maybe look around and find somebody else, like a Nicholas Grigsby, like a Brandon Triwick, to bring in and see whether or not they can make this roster, because Harbaugh pretty much knew at this point, especially with those character concerns, that Jordan Lasley was not going to make this roster, and he opted to move before... It was too late for Lasley to find a team. So, I mean, you got to commend Harbaugh a little bit on that. Uh, it might not have been the best move for the Baltimore Ravens, but it was probably the better move for Jordan Lasley himself because, you know, a 90% shot of getting cut and then, you know, getting cut at the end of, this, of the preseason versus during the preseason, you know, a team, obviously a team did pick him up. They like the upside he brings. The Oakland Raiders do. But if he got cut at the end of the preseason, it's difficult to believe that a 53-man roster that's already been crafted is going to try to get Jordan Lasley. It's just not going to happen. He can make a practice squad, but he's not going to make a 53-man roster. 
So he made the roster last year, didn't make it this year. Um, so early in the year, the Ravens cut him out. It was very surprising. I did not expect it to happen. Now, the final piece of Ravens news we'll be talking about before we get into some opinionated things here. Ed Reed is being inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame tomorrow. Now, if you don't know that, you must be living under a rock. I don't know how you wouldn't know that by now. This has been old news. Uh, but Ed Reed, the greatest safety of all time, in my opinion, and, and we're going to talk about that at the end of the show, a little closing statement on Ed Reed, um, is going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he belongs in Canton. It's obvious that he belongs in Canton. Um, it's the second year in a row where the Ravens have got a homegrown talent in. Last year, they got Ray Lewis in, uh, and Ray Lewis had a phenomenal speech. You know, he's basically um, a, a preacher in football and a football uniform. So, I mean, it's going to be hard for Ed Reed to live up to the speech that Ray Lewis gave last year, um, but Ed Reed is a great dude. Definitely am so happy for him to get in the Hall of Fame. He deserves it. Um, he really, He really deserves this. Um, so make sure to watch tomorrow. I think it's on the NFL. It is on the NFL Network, and I believe ESPN will also be uh, featuring it Saturday, August third. Tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the Friday, it comes out at 7 p.m. Uh, I don't know the um, the slate. How which which players, which Hall of Fame inductees are going to talk first? But but uh, Ed Reed will be talking tomorrow. Uh, I believe coverage starts at six. Uh, and if you're a Ravens fan, you got to witness history. you got to watch it. I was hoping maybe this year I could get out to the Hall of Fame, um, but it just didn't work out. So uh, make sure to watch tomorrow because, you know, this is Ravens history in the making here. This is NFL history in the making. Ray Lewis, one of the greatest Ravens, one of the, great, the greatest safety of all time, being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame tomorrow. So that wraps up our Ravens news section here on Nest Talk episode 38. Make sure again to follow us at Nest Talk or at Be More Feather, or you can follow me at Chris Linfont uh, on Twitter. And of course, check us out on iTunes. Subscribe there if you're listening to on iTunes right now. Make sure to subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube, subscribe, hit that notifications bell. So that way, every time we publish a video or a podcast, you know right away it's out. So whether you want to watch it or not, you know it's out. Uh, you got that information already. So uh, moving on now to some of the other things we want to talk about. Um, last night was the Hall of Fame game, and if you didn't watch it, you know, I understand it's the Hall of Fame game. Nobody watches the Hall of Fame game, but I love the Hall of Fame game, in all honesty. Listen, all football is good football to me, but if you want to talk about bad quality football, it's going to be found in the Hall of Football, a Hall of Fame game. It's always bad quality because these are the two teams that have really the least amount of time to repair, and they got all these basically rookies and, you know, three, four-year players learning new playbooks, guys who are going to be cut by the end of the year, uh, end of the preseason, all learning new playbooks to try to stay relevant here. And it's a tremendous flop a lot of times. A lot of guys just can't do it. But it's also a chance to find the hidden gems, in all honesty. And there were definitely hidden gems last night, I feel like, a lot of people won't know about because they didn't watch the Hall of Fame game. They're not going to watch the preseason if you're a Ravens fan and you're not watching the preseason, look, I get it. It's the preseason. But, again, I mentioned this last week, you get to see the storylines of the year develop. You get to find out which players are really going to be able to make this roster and maybe make an impact this year. And that's why I love the preseason. It's not great quality football. All football is good football, but it's not great quality. Okay. You're not going to find it in the preseason. But there are so many storylines to watch. And the Hall of Fame game kicks off all these storylines. It's not, It might not be your teams, but it's still fun to watch for me. So the two quarterbacks of the start, the two starting quarterbacks of the teams, Matt Ryan and our boy Joe Flacco for the Denver Broncos, uh, didn't play a down, obviously. Um, I wasn't actually sure if they were going to play him or not. I thought the Broncos might play Flacco just because it's New Year. You want to see what he's got in the playbook, how he responds, and, you know, Against the, against a real team, seeing how it all works, uh, Flacco didn't play at all. Those not not a single snap. Uh, they had um, the, fir- the the second round pick, Drew Locke, take a few snaps, and Drew Locke looked pretty darn bad. And in my opinion, Drew Locke looked bad last night. Now, I'm not rooting for the guy to fail. I'm not rooting for anything with Drew Locke. But I'm just gonna tell you unbiasedly you might call me biased because honestly I love Joe Flacco he's my favorite quarterback of all time okay no no disrespect to Lamar Lamar 
I love Lamar too, but you know, it's Flacco. Who doesn't love Joe Flacco if you're if you're a Ravens fan? So Joe Flacco, he he's gonna try to keep this job away from Drew Locke. It's obvious. We all know that. Let's not pretend that Flacco is going to just give up his job uh to, to Drew Locke. You know, like here here's the keys to the to the Corvette, you know, here's how to drive, you know, here fill a whole new tank for gas for you. Uh not gonna happen. But what we saw last night, Drew Locke looked pretty bad. Um there's not, I mean, he got outplayed by Brett Rippon, Boise State. I think it's his second year. I feel like it's his second year. I remember scouting him last year. Brett Rippon outplayed second round pick Drew Locke. Okay. And Brett Rippon has been, I think, in the NFL for a year longer. I don't know if he was there with the Broncos or not last year. Um, but, you know, it wasn't great. It just wasn't great. Plain and simple. Um,. Lots of overthrows. I think he was very hectic. The first few drives especially hectic because Drew Locke sat with the football way too long in the pocket, and he just danced, 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 danced. He looked like, you know who he looked like? He looked like Lamar Jackson in the Hall of Fame game last year. And I'm assuming most of you watched it last year, at least for the allure of what Lamar Jackson was going to do. And if you remember what Lamar Jackson did, he did diddly squat. He did nothing last last Hall of Fame game. It was the worst performance Lamar Jackson's given in a Baltimore Ravens uniform. It was his first performance. It was so bad. He looked like a deer in headlights. Couldn't couldn't accurately throw the football. I mean, was hit a lot. It was just terrible. And that's what Drew Locke looked like. He looked like a deer in headlights. Now, you look at the arc Lamar Jackson took. Lamar's not perfect, but he had... I mentioned it last week. He's not perfect, but he had a tremendous arc of improvement all year long. So, obviously, Drew Locke could take that that arc too, so um, it's very possible, but first impression of Drew Locke, not very good, I was not really high on him coming out of the draft, I thought there were a lot, I mean, I thought really, in my opinion, the only really good quarterback of this draft class was Dwayne Haskins, and some of you might be like, well, what about Kyler Murray, like, Chris, don't you think Kyler Murray was was very good, honestly, I think Kyler Murray was a second round pick at best, Um, I think Kyler Murray, you know, can be a very good player, but I don't think, when, I, when I'm when i talking first-round quarterbacks, I want guys who can start immediately and do something. I think second-rounders are typically where you want to find your guys who might develop for a year. Uh, I think Kyler Murray's going to have to develop for a year, at least. So, I think the only guy ready to go was Dwayne Haskins. I think Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones could probably be picked in the second round. Obviously, they got picked in the first round, both of them. Um... And I thought Drew Locke was probably a third-round quarterback, somebody who had potential but wasn't really... I wasn't really going to bank on it. And the Broncos picked him in the second round, but he looked... I mean, again, Hall of Fame game. First game ever. Deer in headlight situation. Has plenty of time to improve, but he didn't look good. So the Broncos are probably happy they've got Joe Flacco going to steal the ship uh, for the year because Drew, Drew Locke needs time. So we'll see what happens with him. But another guy who... Someone who looked really good... Um, but sticking with the Broncos, before I go into this other quarterback who looked tremendously, tremendously good, um, Noah Fant, the first-round tight end, had a drop. His first attempt at a catch in this game was a drop. Second one was a pretty good catch. I think it was a first down. He had a, he had a decent game. Um, this running back, Muhammad, I think he, I don't remember which team he played for. I think it was the Broncos. Looked very good. Uh, he was just zipping around. Uh, but the quarterback who did very good in this game, Kurt Bankert, former UVA, University of Virginia Cavaliers quarterback, looked very good. I remember scouting him last year. I was looking over quarterbacks because I knew the Ravens were going to pick a quarterback at some point. I assumed, I didn't think it was going to be Lamar. If you actually followed my content back then, I was talking about finding a third, fourth, fifth round guy to be the backup because Ryan Mallett wasn't going to cut it anymore. I had, I really thought the Ravens were, were playing games with Lamar. I thought to make a run on quarterbacks happen so they could get their guy, which is initially what I thought happened when, not to go way off track here, but I initially thought the Hayden Hurst pick was the only pick they were going to make. I think most of us did too. And I was like, oh, it was just a ruse to get the quarterbacks to run high. Nope, wasn't. So, but I scouted a lot of quarterbacks last year, especially in the later rounds, assuming the Ravens, because I assumed the Ravens were going to try to find a quarterback. And I looked at Kurt Bankert and I thought to myself, this dude's a little wild, but he's got a lot of potential. That's what I thought last year. So, Kurt Banker comes out. The dude reminds me of a better... He's like a better, more polished Johnny Manziel. Not as exciting as Manziel was in college, but he's like more polished and not like completely crazy. 
both on and off the field completely crazy. Kurt Banker's pretty chill. Um, so he's slinging the football last night. He was really, I mean, these were darts, quick release darts. I mean, tight spirals, accurate throws. I think he had, I don't remember if he had a few runs or not, but he looked like great pocket awareness. I mean, he was hitting everything. And you got Matt Pick's sixth job in as the backup, official backup to Matt Ryan. Now his job is in jeopardy. I'm telling you right now, his job is in jeopardy because Kurt Bankert put on a show last night. So he's on notice, 37-year-old, 38-year-old, whatever he is, Matt Pick six job you remember from 2015 pick sixes so many times when he came in to relieve Flacco after that tragic ACL tear so many pick sixes it was terrible they had to find Jimmy Clausen to lead us to victory Jimmy Clausen um, so Matt Schaub I don't think Matt Schaub should even be on this Atlanta roster when you've got when you're looking for a quarterback I think if you've got a young QB you go with a veteran quarterback backup if you've got a veteran quarterback backup you go for a young QB who could potentially develop into the guy you go for next. That's who I, what I always think. I think 37, 38-year-old, whatever he is, Matt Schaub, isn't really the answer anymore. And no disrespect to Schaub, because Schaub had a great career with the Texans for those, what, five, six years? Was basically the franchise quarterback. Their first franchise quarterback. Um, so I think Schaub is well past his prime to, since that injury. Um, so we'll see how that develops. That'll be interesting. Um, but the Denver Broncos won the game. Um... There was this guy, Winfrey, I think it was named, the wide receiver, caught this amazing pass at the end. It was bobbled, and then he just catches it in the end zone. Basically, the game-winning touchdown. So the Broncos um, win, won the football game last night. Uh, so the Joe Flacco effect is obviously already kicking into gear. Um, he has now led his... He, was, he did not throw a single interception or incompletion last night. I will give that to Joe Flacco. Not a single interception, not a single in, incompletion... Of course, the joke is he didn't play at all. So, uh, great game. Broncos won it. Uh, and the final score was 40, 14 to 10. Not a lot of scoring, but I was expected to begin with. Um, so, with the Hall of Fame game now over, that means the preseason has officially started. And the Ravens will face the Jaguars next Thursday. You've got less than a week till the Ravens are on the field taking real snaps. Not practice snaps, but real snaps. Now, obviously not meaningful snaps, they're not really, you know, competing for a playoff spot right now, but it is meaningful in the sense that there's going to be a lot of rookies, there's going to be a lot of players barely on this roster to watch, and some who are developing that we might want to watch too. So, I've picked out six rookies and five, six, I'm sorry, six and six players to watch, rookies and non-rookies. Um, so, when you jump right into it here, the first rookie I want to see um, is Miles Boykin. If you're following news from camp, you know that Miles Boykin has put on a show. Basically, every practice except the one I went to, he was doing tremendous things on the football field. Miles Boykin, I'm actually wrapping up a video now on him, which will be out on the YouTube channel. So if you're listening on the YouTube channel right now, press that subscribe button. You'll know when the Miles Boykin video is coming out. Hit the notification bell. Miles Boykin, the Notre Dame wide receiver. Dude is tall, dude is athletic, and dude can make a lot of plays. Willie Sneed has compared him to Michael Thomas. We talked about that last episode. Michael Thomas, the New Orleans Saints stellar wide receiver, now the highest paid wide receiver, I think, in the history of the National Football League. And he's only in his third year, I believe. So, Miles Boykin has tremendous potential. The Ravens think he can really do wonders for them uh, if he develops. And he developed in Notre Dame, and he was didn't look like he was done developing the way his progression was. So... Miles Boykin has done great things in training camp, in practice. We need to know whether or not he can do these things on a real field against a real opponent that is trying very hard to stop him. When it's your own guys, sometimes you're not going to go as hard as maybe a Jacksonville cornerback, Jacksonville safety, who is trying to make this roster harder than anybody. Versus if he's going up against Marlon Humphrey and, and Jimmy Smith, who already know they're going to be on this roster. Why even bother, you know, to risk yourself? Just, you know, don't go too hard once in a while. It happens. I'm not saying that they do. I'm not saying that I saw anything like that. But I could. I imagine that probably happens. So when you go up against someone who's fighting for his football career, things get interesting. So Miles Boykin is going to have to show us 
what he can do in this preseason. Uh, I'm confident he can put on a good performance. I'm confident that Miles Boykin will show us what we need to see in order to, you know, get this hype train to leave the station because, you know, it's it's in the station right now. People are boarding the hype train, but it's not everybody knows about it, and it hasn't left yet. So first preseason game, if he if he gets a touchdown in the first preseason preseason game, I guarantee you this hype train is gonna go all the way. It's gonna zoom out of the station. So we'll see what Miles Boykin can do uh, in this first game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Another rookie I want to watch is another wide receiver. It's Marquise Brown. There's a lot of wide receivers on this list actually. Marquise Brown mainly is whether or not he plays. I'm leaning. I mean, right now, I don't. As I mentioned earlier, I don't know whether or not he's going to play. I don't have that information right now, and I'm trying to get it. I can't get it though right now. There's no, no one's going to tell us that basically until next week. So we have a ways to go. So Marquise Brown, does Marquise Brown play against the Jacksonville Jaguars? My gut feeling, my absolute gut feeling is no. I would imagine he doesn't play here. I imagine he plays uh, next week. Um, so, I don't think Marquise Brown's going to play here, but that's just me talking. That's just my hypothesis. No no information on this hypothesis. It's just observation is he, he's coming off of an injury. Logic is Ravens don't want to risk him getting hurt again right away. So, assumption is he probably won't play. But it's very possible if he's already way long on this track of recovery that the Ravens are going to send him out there for a drive or two and basically see, can he burn past people still? I think we could do that in training camp, but it's, it'd be fun to see whether or not he can burn past some of these Jacksonville Jaguars defenders. So whether or not he plays, uh, we'll find out. Now, another rookie I want to watch is Trace McSorley. Now, Trace McSorley, I think the Ravens are hoping more long-term for him, and He's, again, as I mentioned last week, he's going to play a lot of different positions on this team. Backup quarterback, special teams special teams player, presumably um, wide receiver occasionally, and possibly defensive back. So, you know, his plate's going to be full. Trace McSorley's going to have a lot to do uh, on this team. But, but, with Robert Griffin III hurt, and he is not, I'm telling you right now, he is not playing in this game. Robert Griffin III is not playing. He's not coming back to the end of the preseason. I bet you he's not going to play any preseason games. With RG3 hurt, and the only other backup quarterback on this roster is Joe Callahan right now, who, I don't know much about Joe Callahan, but I'm going to tell you right now, he's not making this roster, Joe Callahan isn't. He's looking for another way to keep his football career alive, whether it's a practice squad or another team's roster. Trace McSorley has to step up. He's got to do something. And I don't expect him to do a lot against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I think he's probably going to to do very little. He's probably going to look like Drew Locke. In all seriousness, he's going to look like a deer in headlights. This is his first NFL game. The game is much faster. The play calling is like way more complicated than it ever was at Penn State. He's going to have a lot to deal with, and I don't expect him to do well right away. But I want to see something out of him that makes me say, okay, Trace McSorley, I trust you in four weeks from now to be the backup quarterback should RG3 not be ready. Or, Trace McSorley, I trust you to develop into a potential backup quarterback at some point. Or at least, at least, Trace McSorley, I trust you to contribute something to this team. Because, look, as a six-round pick, there is no guarantee you're making this team. The Ravens have done it in the past where they've cut, you know, six-round, seventh-round picks. They are not guarantees to make rosters. Plain and simple, they're not. So, if Trace McSorley looks terrible this preseason, there's a good chance he doesn't make the roster. Now, I think the aspect of being a Taysom Hill-type player is alluring enough for the Ravens to say, well, we're going to keep him around somehow, whether it's IR stashing him, whether it's basically telling him you're going to go on the practice squad um, and we're going to wait until next year to, to push on this roster. Who knows? But I want to see that Trace McSorley can do something to contribute. And I really believe Trace McSorley is going to be a good player, and I think he could develop into a good quarterback. 
the way he played in college, you know, it's a, it's different from what the NFL is demanding. But I think he's got the attitude. I think he's got the mindset for it. And I'm, I am excited. Even though he's a six-round pick, even though he's not projected to be the actual backup quarterback, let alone starter, I think Trace McSorley um, can develop into a good quarterback at some point or at least a, a contributing player, whether it's special teams, offense, defense, whatnot. I think Trace McSorley will be something the Ravens can value in the future. Um, a guy I also want to see is there's two defensive tackles I'm going to put here, Dalen Mack and Jared Willis. We'll couple them together for um, comparisons here. Now, these two, we've got the Mack truck, the dude who actually pushed a truck um, for a very long distance. I don't remember the distance. I think it was a mile. Um, I think for training or for fun, why not, right? Dude's from Mississippi State. He's huge. He's strong. But you've also got Jared Willis, the undrafted free agent out of Miami. A lot of play people, a lot of analysts, smart NFL guys thought Gerald Willis would go in the third round of the NFL draft. He did not go in the third round. Obviously, he's undrafted. Um, reasoning, character concerns. I don't know what these character concerns are. I had a hard time really researching, not understanding exactly what's going on here with Gerald Willis. But Willis, there is some concern about whether or not he'd be able to handle the NFL life. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, all the aspects of being on an NFL team, he's got some concerns with that. So you find a third round talent undrafted and you get a guy like Dalen Mack who can make this team better as a big, strong defensive tackle. I want to see which one plays better. And I want to see, you know, this storyline develop because fifth round pick Dalen Mack, no guarantee you make this roster in complete honesty. There's no guarantee you make the roster. You have a much better shot. I think it's more way more than likely than not but there's that there is that chance that you don't make the roster right especially if Gerald Willis comes in and dominates and looks like you know that he was a complete mistake not to draft it's very possible they put J- Dalen Mack on the practice squad or something so it's very possible they put Willis on the practice squad too but if he has a good preseason expect him to be picked up by somebody else you've got guys in here um, who are going to be battling it out at least for a roster position, maybe even, you know, a depth chart position, second string, rotational guy, who knows. So these two are going to be battling it out. It's going to be really who can stuff the lanes better. Is Dalen Mack or Jared Willis going to stuff the lane better? Because I don't really care who's going to be the better pass rusher here. You know, I want our outside guys. I want Jalen Ferguson and Matthew Judon to show me they're good pass rushers. I want these guys to basically be able to take... Leonard Fournette, uh, he's not going to play, but hypothetically, Leonard Fournette and stuff him for a loss frequently, right? I want them to take Le'Veon Bell. I want them to take Joe Mixon, uh, James Conner, and, and Nick Chubb and basically say, no, 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 you're going into the ground. That's what I want to see out of these guys. I want to see them clog lanes and make plays against running backs. I don't need to see them rush the passer. I don't need to see... Whoever is in there for Nick Foles, I doubt Nick Foles will play. Uh, whoever is going to be quarterbacking for the Jaguars, I don't need to see them terrorize that guy. I mean, it would be cool. Don't get me wrong. It'd be cool to see these guys do that. But it's not like they're going to be doing that for the Ravens a lot this year. If they're going to make this team, you're going to have to make plays in the running game and stuffing the run. That's the simple truth. That's what's actually going on. So... We'll see whether or not they can do that. I expect at least one of them to do it. I think we'll come away from this preseason game this upcoming Thursday um, knowing one of these guys had a good game, had a good night. Let's We'll, we'll see what happens, um, but I am confident that it will pan out that way. Uh, moving on, last rookie I want to watch is Antoine Wesley. We talked a little bit about him earlier. Tall, I mean, if you listen to last week's episode, or last episode, it was really actually recorded on Monday, but you know I loved what I saw from Antoine Wesley at camp. The dude has super long legs. Looks like a gazelle with these legs. So we'll see what he can do with those. Um, in theory, should be more agile, more nimble, maybe more fast. I want to see if he balls out. In all honesty, I want to see if he balls out. He's competing for a roster spot with Jaleel Scott. And let's segue into Jaleel Scott too because he's on my list of players to watch. He's competing for a roster spot with Jaleel Scott. I want to know whether or not Antoine Wesley will be worth that roster spot, and it's going to have to start in this Jacksonville game. He's got to make catches. These two, both of them, Jaleel Scott and Antoine Wesley, as we start talking about our players, not just rookies, but players to watch, 
Jaleel Scott, Antoine Wesley, they've got to have good nights. And if both of them have bad nights, the Ravens might regret cutting Jordan Leslie. They might start looking at Jalen Smith or somebody like that from Louisville to start filling this this gap here. You got to make sure your game from training camp, from practice, transitions to a real game scenario. If it does not, you have a problem. You will not make this roster if you look great in training camp but can't catch a football against the Jacksonville Jaguars' third-string team. So we'll see how they do. And it's all hypothetical, but I imagine they'll do well. I don't... It's very, I mean, it happens that players drop off probably a lot more frequently than I think, than we all think, really, from training camp to... from training camp practices to preseason games. But um, the magic's got to be there. We can't have any more of these preseason heroes, too, by the way, where they do great in the preseason and then just flunk in the regular season. We don't need that. We don't need that. We need guys who are going to prove their worth in the preseason and then prove it in the regular season. But the only way to do that, of course, is watching them in the preseason. So, rookie to watch, Antoine Wesley, regular player to watch, Jaleel Scott. Some other regular players to watch, I think Alvin Jones and Chris Bohr, the two inside linebackers we talked about briefly earlier. Um, Chris Bohr and Alvin Jones. I mean, Chris Bohr is being more talked about right now, I think, than Alvin Jones. At the inside linebacker position, I saw some people even suggesting Board could start, which would boggle my mind with Anwaso and, and Kenny Young, who I think have both have tremendous upside, put them in there together kind of deal. Um, but Alvin Jones, when I went to training camp, was making plays. He was making plays. He was hard hits, legal hard hits, good plays, good good reads. He made some nice things, and he did some nice things. And I think Alvin Jones has a real chance to shine in the preseason, put his name on this stage, competing with Board. Maybe even compete with Kenny Young here. I don't think I think Unwaso is going to be the first stringer, Kenny Young the second stringer. But we'll get in a lot. So I think that Alvin Jones has to work hard, and I think Chris Board will also have to work hard um, to to make this roster as well. None of these guys, these two guys, definitely could be cut by the end of the preseason. But the way they play their game, I think, will be very important, and it's got to start off well against this Jacksonville Jaguars team. You're gonna have to do it well. Um, and these two will need to be they'll need to be able to stuff the run. That's probably the most important thing the Ravens want them to do as inside linebackers. You don't need to be the guy in coverage, right? They gotta stuff the run, they gotta make good reads, uh, and they gotta be field generals. Look, I mean, they're not gonna be Ray Lewis. The history of linebacker at, at this at this organization in this organization is without a doubt the best in the NFL. I mean Ray Lewis alone makes is the best linebacker in the NFL. I'm sorry, Brian Urlacher, but it's just true. All of us know Ray Lewis is the best linebacker in the NFL history. But you've also got guys who, who played next to him that have been pretty good. And then, of course, C.J. Mosley was a great transition. So sad to see him leave. Um, but, you know, outside linebackers who are edge rushers have always been good here, too. So we got to continue this tradition of, of, of great linebackers and a field general, someone who can re- basically read what's going on, communicate well with the backfield, uh, the secondary, I mean, and kind of morph this defense and, and, and really anchor the defense and be the guy that people look to. Even if it's the third teams, if it's the third strings looking up to you, it's somebody believes in you, and that's important for a middle linebacker, inside linebacker, who's going to be your defensive leader. It's just true, especially in this at this point. And I'm not saying that Alvin Jones or or Chris Board is going to be the defensive leader for the Ravens. That's ludicrous for me to say because they're not going to be. But you got to find guys who can be good, you know, who can be leaders, not the leader of the defense, but can be leaders when they're on the field because it's it's just something that it it shows their intangible qualities. And if you have those intangibles, that you know the leadership ability the hard-working aspect, you're more likely to develop into a better better player than you're not. So looking for somebody who can develop, leadership is one, and I think with the inside linebacker position, being a field general, being that guy people look up to is going to be important. Alvin Jones and Chris Board are going to have to fight it out in play and in leadership uh, on Thursday night. Now another player, not to go rapid fire here, but another player I want to watch, believe it or not, is Corey Vedvik the punter. The backup punter. Now, 
I'm going to throw out a theory here that probably could get me, like, excommunicated from Raven's fandom. But I could see a situation arriving where Corey Vedvik is the Ravens punter and Sam Cook is cut by the end of the preseason. Please don't shoot. I have a reason for saying this, okay? I'm not just throwing this out here. I don't think it's actually going to happen. And I believe the Ravens actually just re-signed Sam Cook. So, you know, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's plausible. And I think it's plausible because he looked really darn good last year, Corey Vedvik. I mean, he did really well in the preseason. Now, Sam Cook actually has not been re-signed. There's talk about him potentially being re-signed. Next year, he will be on his last year of his contract, making $3 million. Look, Sam Cook is probably one of the better punters in league history. But he is a punter. And if you could save money with a punter of potentially equal um, talent... A younger version, Sam Cook is a 14-year veteran. Corey Vedrick is going into his second year. You never know. I mean, it's it's very possible the Ravens could say, "Oh, Corey's going to be our guy for the future. Let's get rid of Sam now." You know, who knows? How many years left does Sam Cook have? Four, maybe five. How many years does Corey Vedrick have left? Maybe 16 if he plays at Sam Cook's level for long enough. So who knows what's going to happen? At least the thing with Corey Vedvik, the punter, is if he does well, I wholeheartedly expect him to make a team this year as a punter, as potentially a place kicker, because he did well as a place kicker too. But he'll do something enough where one team will pick him up, but it's going to be a stretch for him to make the Ravens roster, because obviously, Sam Cook. But it is possible, and don't call me blasphemous or, any, blasphemous or anything, because I really believe that Eric DaCosta might want to mold this team and think about the future now. Because he's done that already with other player contracts. Tavon Young. Think about the future now. Get Tavon Young locked up. Think about the future now. Get Nick Boyle locked up. These are young players doing well at their positions. These are specialty roles too. That's key. Corey Vedvik is a specialty player. A special teams player. Punter. Not going to do anything else for you. Maybe kick once in a while. But punter. Um, so he could find out that Corey Vedvik is playing around where, maybe a little less than Sam Cook, around where his game is, and, and save the money, save the cap space, get a guy for the future. Now, I'm not saying the Ravens should do this. I don't really know if the Ravens should do this. It's too early, and I love me some Sam Cook. Sam Cook, look, punters don't get, get enough credit. Sam Cook is, is, is great. He's a great punter. He's a great player. He's a great dude, and he can lay a hit. If you've ever seen him lay a hit, he can lay a hit. He can throw the ball. Great, great punter great, you know, tricks and everything, and he can do, and he contributes on those returns as well, you know, hitting people, making sure they don't go far. But it's very possible that he's not a Raven by the end of this, end of this offseason. So we'll see if my theory holds, if the Ravens actually, um, you know, consider that. It will be a while till we know, but it's very possible. Um, but if you remember, Corey Vedrick was with the Ravens last year, the Norwegian punter, um, but was not released because he was put on uh, one of the injury designations after getting into a fight or being beat up. He doesn't actually remember much of it, I think. Somewhere in Baltimore, wasn't a good area. Um, and he got hurt, and the Ravens basically stashed him for the year to come back to training camp this year. Now, another player I want to watch is Deshaun Elliott. Deshaun Elliott, a lot of people think, can be a great ball hawk. Uh, problem with that, though, is he's a safety, and you got Tony Jefferson and Earl Thomas at safety. You're not taking their job, so... He's got to be a rotational guy, someone who can get in there as a reliever, maybe as a third safety when you got those cover three situations. Um, but dude, the dude has shown his promise. At Texas, he was a ball hawk. In OTAs and a little bit of training camp this year, he's shown his prowess. Deshaun Elliott, I think, should have a good preseason. I think it'll be interesting to watch uh, whether or not he can really command that secondary at the safety position. And, of course, Another secondary player, and the final player to watch is going to be Anthony Averett. A lot of people really like what Anthony Averett is doing this, this offseason. And looking at this Ravens secondary, I mean, it's hard not to be like really excited for the future because the present, you've got Jimmy Smith, Brandon Cart, and Marlon Humphrey at the cornerback position with, with Earl Thomas and Tony Jefferson at the back at the safety position. For the future, you also have Marlon Humphrey, um, 
Tony Jefferson, I think, is younger than, than Earl Thomas. Or Earl Thomas probably won't be around forever. He is 30 years old. I mean, yeah, you hope he could play for another seven years here. But it's possible he, he only plays for four, let's say. You got Deshaun Elliott back there. You got Chuck Clark, who looks great last year. I mean, not great, but great for, for his position coming in, relieving Tony Jefferson for a little bit. Anthony Averett can develop into a very good cornerback. You've got Maurice Kennedy, who's done some good things. Uh, and you got Evan Marshall, Biggie, in there, who can do some good things, we think. We'll see in this preseason as well. Um, so you got a lot of guys who can develop as the present secondary is dominating. And you could have a potential situation where you are dominating with the secondary for years to come if these guys pan out. So if you're on the fence about watching the, watching the preseason, I think the secondary and the backup secondary specifically, the developing guys, are should be enough to get you to watch because it's the future of the Ravens at risk, at stake, we can see it unfold. We can see whether or not these guys are developing because Anthony Average, Sean Elliott, Chuck Clark, um, you know, these are guys who are going from year one to year two, year two to year three. Lots of progress should be made. I think Mo Kennedy is going into his fourth year. Um, so we'll see how that pans out. Uh, maybe it's his third year. I don't know. Um, we'll see how they pan out, how they progress this preseason. And, of course, we have to start with the first preseason game to find out how they've progressed from last year at least, and how and, and to really keep track of how they progress to the end of the preseason. Um, and of course, one more thing I want to talk about, not a player to watch, but a schematic to watch. Is this Ravens offense really going to be that different, or is it basically going to be last year with a little more passing? Are they going to really revolutionize the NFL, as John Harbaugh suggests? I'm not saying they're not going to, but I've got to see something really interesting sometime this preseason, and I hope to see it this upcoming Thursday because, you know, that would at least give us a chance to know whether or not the Ravens are starting to move in that direction towards a revolutionary offense. And I don't say the Ravens have to be revolutionary, but John Harbaugh is saying it's going to be revolutionary. And I trust John Harbaugh as a football coach, but is it really going to be revolutionary? Is this going to transform the way the NFL is played like Bill Walsh did in the 80s, as he suggests with the West Coast offense? Is Lamar Jackson's run and shoot, or whatever we want to call it, going to be the the dominating offense of the 2020s? We'll find out, and I think we'll find glimpses of how much this offense has progressed this preseason, and of course, maybe not as much in the first game, because they don't want to tip too much of their hat, but we'll see some things. We'll see Justice Hill out there, who should be integral to this offense as a speed guy, as a side-to-side guy. Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram. Probably won't see much of Lamar Jackson, but Trace McSorley taking snaps. He's mobile. We'll see basically a slower version of Lamar Jackson. Maybe a less accurate version, too, because Trace McSorley is still getting used to this. Um, you know, so we'll see v- versions of it, but we won't see the full pro- the full out, uh, the full product until maybe November. But we'll know whether or not the Ravens are really going to be anywhere near revolutionary as they say it's it's tough to be what bill walsh was for this league but if they pull it off holy moly watch out everybody if they really pulled it off where they transform the way offense is played that would be unbelievable but i don't believe it till i see it so we'll see what happens now that's gonna be it for today's episode i hope you enjoyed but before we go i want to talk a little bit about ed reed and why he's the best safety to ever play the position Not only was the dude a nightmare for quarterbacks, but the way he played his game, the electricity he brought to his game, I mean, it it really brought another level of excitement to whenever you watch the Baltimore Ravens. Because at any point, Ed Reed could come in and swoop a pass and take it 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 108 yards to the other end zone. The dude was the pick six king. There's no question. He's the best. He is the best ball hawking safety. He's the best interception return safety. He is the best safety of all time. The way he played the position, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes he would literally fake what he's doing to quarterbacks. He would make them think that he's behind a guy when in reality he was just intentionally being slow. So the quarterback would throw it 
and then he would launch himself in front and catch the football. I mean, the dude was an unreal player. The dude was a very smart player. And the dude was a very fun player to watch. He had swagger beyond belief. I mean, people will say, I mean, by people I mean, you know, Pittsburgh fans, will say that Troy Palomalu is the best safety of all time. And you just have to laugh because no disrespect to Palomalu. Palomalu was a fantastic safety. But he was never as electric. He was never as iconic as Ed Reed. Ed Reed brought another level to the game. Every quarterback that ever faced him was afraid of him. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning were afraid of Ed Reed. Ed Reed was the guy you just never wanted to see. And you never trusted. And you never knew what he was going to do. And even if he was actually falling behind on a play, if you'd faced him before, if you watched his tape, you would not know whether or not he was actually behind it. It made throwing to him near him, anywhere near him, very risky. And you can only imagine what his numbers would have been like if quarterbacks did it more often. So, Ed Reed, the best safety to ever play the game. Really, the most electric player, and maybe possibly the most electric player in NFL history. The best, one, the, one of the best Ravens of all time up there with the big three uh, in... Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, and Ed Reed himself. And happy uh, inauguration uh, to the Hall of Fame, enshrinement, I should say, into the Hall of Fame for Ed Reed. I mean, this is an amazing accomplishment, and the entirety of Baltimore is up there with you. Um, so, looking forward to seeing him being inducted into the Hall of Fame this Saturday at 7 p.m. Make sure you watch it. So, show your Ravens flock support. And I want to know if you're watching it, so you can tweet me at Be More Feather. Uh, and you can also find me at Nest Talk. For this podcast on Twitter or at Chris Linfont, make sure to like us on Facebook. If you're if you found us on Facebook, like us on Facebook. That just helps you find us easier. If you're listening on iTunes, subscribe it. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Make sure to rate us as well, so other people can enjoy our podcast and get all the latest and greatest Ravens news and opinions um, from me, your host Chris Linfont. And of course, if you are listening on YouTube, which is probably our biggest draw right now, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you hit that notification bell. Know when the next episode is coming out, and of course. Our, I like to think they're high-quality videos um, that I put a lot of work into analyzing these these draft prospects from this year coming up. Trying to get some more out, um, hoping that Miles Boykins should be out on Saturday, so tomorrow, sometime uh, on the Hall of Fame Enshrinement Day. So make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the notification bell to make sure you get all the latest videos from us. And of course, if you're in the mood for some great Ravens content, uh, in the form of writing, you can find us at, at the uh, Baltimore Feather um, website, baltimorefeather.com, where, where I post all the latest Ravens news stories uh, and sometimes opinion articles in there, too. Uh, haven't had as much time with that as we're focusing more on opinion here on the YouTube channel, but of course, you will find us there. And of course, our preview and predictions will be coming back for the preseason. We won't go super in-depth, but we will give a preview, predictions of maybe how players will handle it, um, because we will focus more on the players than we will on the actual outcome of the game, because it doesn't matter. It matters what players are actually doing well. So, And then, of course, we'll go into our film breakdown. I keep talking about wanting to do it in video form as well, which I think I'm going to do. I'm working on developing a strategy to do that, a format. Um, so we'll break down film from these games as well, and, of course, that'll be on YouTube as well. So, yeah, lots of stuff coming up. Hope you guys enjoyed Nest Talk episode 38, again recorded here on August 2nd. 2019. Uh, Hope you had a great Friday, great weekend coming up, and we'll see you again this upcoming Friday as we recap the Baltimore Ravens' um, first preseason game of the preseason uh, against the the Jacksonville Jaguars in Baltimore. Uh, This is Chris Linfont of the Baltimore Feather signing out.